0: Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Rainy. I'm Corinne. And thank you guys for tuning in. Today we have my sister Ginger Kearns on the couch with us. And she is an artist in New York City. And she used to dress me up like a tiny goth. (laughs) And we've been best friends forever. (laughs) Uh, We're going to
1: plug our lovely friend Brooke Banning's new web series called Spectrum. It's about a community of individuals with developmental disabilities And the autism spectrum disorder Um, she's applying to the independent production fund so between the dates of march 1st and march 31st the more that you engage with this web series the better chances they have of funding you can find them on facebook instagram twitter youtube vimeo and their website spectrum com. and go support please like all you gotta do is watch it yeah put on your phone, put it beside you, listen to it, whatever you want to do, support your community, support your community, making important fucking work.
0: Yes. All right. Thank you guys. And let's get going. Here we go.
2: Okay. <laughs> so when I auditioned for law and order, I was like so excited because I love law and order SVU, of course, the rape law and order. And, um,
0: why the rape law? And order?
2: <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's better. just the, that's one with like iced tea on it. Mariska yeah. Hargit did. It's the best one. Stabler. <laughs> um, but I, I was so excited because I was like obsessed with law and order. And then, uh, and it was the only time I'd been called in for it. And I, uh, had done the SNL, um, audition where I was like Darla, who I'll talk about later. Cause that's like a murder girl thing. But I was, um, I made this like character for my first SNL audition about this, like woman from Fargo who makes dioramas based on her favorite law and order crime scenes and episodes. Um, and so the whole time I was auditioning for law and order, I kept thinking, if I book this, I can totally use it in my one woman show and make fun of it. And of course I didn't book it. Even though I got a call back, I didn't book it. I was like the librarian who they go to when you're like, you know, this person was, I saw them in the library. They were checking the internet. I just happened to notice that he was wearing the red plaid scarf or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Anyway. Law and order. Mm Mhm. And then I brought that character back later for Murderville, Darla Mm -hmm. Opperman. I think her name was Ilsa when I originally did it in SNL and then brought her back to make Murderville.
0: Um, Talk about your SNL characters, Disney princesses with And how it coincided just so perfectly with Kristen Wiig creating something right after.
2: So when you auditioned for SNL, I mean, so I never did a main stage audition. I should be pretty clear about that. Um, But I did, I think, like five demo tapes. Okay. And you give them like a five-minute tape where you have to do like original characters and impressions in under five minutes. And then like the following year, I would get feedback on it. And then they would like be like do different impressions or do different whatever, or do you can do some of the same impressions, but you have to do different characters or however they, whatever the notes were for that year. So I think one of the times I auditioned, I did uh snow white and celebrity rehab. Who was like drinking apple martinis and like <laughs> popping pills. And like, she had mommy issues and, uh, and like, So you sign this insane agreement when you audition that basically states like if any character is made on a character that you've brought to SNL, you can't sue them because they're like, oh, you know, so many ideas are the same and like people have Mm -hmm. the same concepts, which is a valid point. You know, this is why like so many people are attracted to the same kind of content at the you know? same
0: time.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, or there's like surges and things. Cause it's like all of these pilots that are about, you know, like the big bang theory, for example, all these pilots that are about like nerdy space guys right. are getting like seen at the same time. And it's like just a matter of which one they decide to pick.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I made snow white and celebrity rehab. And then like two years later, or maybe even like the next year they do this like Disney princess, um, real housewives episode. And it's like them all being just like, you know, alcoholics in, in the real housewives. And every person I know that knew, like had been in like a one woman show class with me or had like seen my, um, audition tapes or like talk to me about sketch at that time. Cause I was in a sketch group, um, at the same time that I was like auditioning for SNL and all these other things. Um, sent me that like, Oh my God, Ginger! they're like, they stole your idea. I was like, I'm trying not to say that they st- try not to think that they stole it. Cause like people have the same ideas, but it's strikingly similar they <laughs> to were the insane. exact jokes I made. Oh, um, but you know, like yeah, I guess, I guess people have the same ideas. So it was just like, it, you just think at that point, like if you're so on like brand right. with what they're looking for, why aren't they casting you? Yeah.
0: Well, you know why what I you mean? Getting like a main stage audition.
2: Yeah. That. Why am I not getting a main stage audition? If like, I have the same ideas that like your people are bringing in, right. you know, like if I'm like on that same wavelength, mm-hmm. Of like concepts and things that you're clearly interested in like why am i not being brought in and that's like what's so infuriating is like you (laughs) being an actor specifically is this very weird thing where you get rejected over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again and this part of your brain has to be like right so they didn't like me but (laughs) Maybe they're just waiting to use me for a bigger role, which is (laughs) like, if you told a therapist that they'd be like, this person is delusional, yeah, (laughs) like narcissistic and sociopathic tendencies, tendencies,
0: because it's just like, but that is what's happening in the back of your brain. Well, this is so like, I've had so
2: right. Yeah. And I've had so many moments in my life where I've like quit the business, like in my inner monologue, you know, Mm -hmm. like I auditioned the first time I auditioned for um, Boardwalk Empire, I went in for like an under five, like a co-star role. It was one line. And the previous time I had been brought in by this casting director, I had been brought in for an under five. And when I walked, it was for the show, how to make it in America. And I got brought in and it was for that role. I don't really remember what it was for some kind of like punk rock girl. And I walked in and they were like, you look amazing. Like you look so perfect for this. Mm. And then I proceeded to screw the lineup up it's one line. Okay. It was like something, I don't even remember what it was, something like rock out with your cock out or something. (laughs) And I literally said it wrong. And I'm like with such confidence and the casting director was like, that was great, but that's not the line. So if you could just say the line, right. And I was like, great. And I did it again. She's like, again, that's, great, but that's not the line. And like, she gave me so many chances. And by the end of it, I was just like, can you, it like just reading the side with it up to my face, like you. And it's like, all of a sudden your brain's like, I don't think I know how to read anymore. (laughs) You're just like doing this one line and it's anyway. And then I walked out of there being like, I'm, I can't believe I can't say a one line, but it's weird because all, all actors have the most difficulty with, uh, under fives. It's like the hardest thing what to audition for. And under five is, is a role with under five lines. So it's like the waiter that's like, you forgot your dessert or oh, like right. the doorman who's like, good night, sir. You know, it's like those lines that actors usually end up screwing up the most because you go to school and you mentally prepare like how to do huge characters and huge roles. Right. And then you go in and audition for this thing. That's like, you want your instinct is to like make a whole life for this person that the, the
0: they're only going to see first just one. holding the
2: door open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, and so then you're just like too much, you know, <laughs> this girl is much too much. This girl is much too much. <laughs> just like you just, it's, it's like you just overdo it. Right. And then it's like you, you end up, you know, not getting it. They're just like the hardest things to book anyway. So I, back to boardwalk empire. So I went in for boardwalk empire. I was so confident. I was like, I'd been like all night I'd been at, um, sleep no more, which is my other job. Um, and just like making people like send me like line me in, Mm. which is like the queue line before your line. Yes. Okay. I don't know. So anyway, so I was like making people line me in, all over the room. And then I'd turn around and like give the line that I was supposed to give for the audition. So I was so ready to not screw it up. I go in there. I nail it. I'm like, I'm perfect for the show. I look like I belong in the thirties. Like this is a 1930s hooker. This is my wheelhouse. <laughs> this is what I do. I play <laughs> prostitutes, sex workers. Sorry. We're not supposed to say that anymore. <laughs> It's an
0: offensive. I've looked like that since you were five years old. Yeah, I've <laughs> also like, just looked like this my whole life. There's like straight up a picture of Ginger in a bathing suit at the lake, and she's like, you like a very old timey bikini, like,
2: and I'm like five, <laughs> yeah. just like pinup girl posing. Yeah. I've been practicing for this my whole life, <laughs> so I don't get it. I don't even get a call back, uh. and it's funny because like you, you're hopeful right up until the days that you know that it's shooting because mm-hmm. you're given the dates when you audition, um, for when they're filming, because you have to be available for the filming dates. So you're sort of like hopeful, like, well, even though like after three days or a week, you should really know if you got it or not. And you're just like hopeful. And then I didn't get it. And I remember just being so devastated. I was like in a Dwayne Reed, in front of the shampoo aisle, just like trying not to drink bottles of shampoo and being like, I, I'm like such a failure. Like I can't even get a one line role of a sex worker on a show that I'm perfect for. Like I, if I can't book that, like I'm terrible. And also like what I'm in the wrong business. Um, and also I'm going to drink shampoo right now. So I have to leave, (laughs) leave the department store or the Duane (laughs) Reeves.
0: But you do end up booking boardwalk.
2: Well, okay. So, so the point is of that is after like, you know, two weeks of me, like crying and writing a whole other TV show based on somebody who's trying to commit suicide, which we can talk about later, Carter and me. Yeah. Um, which is kind of amazing because like when you're in these like really dark twisty moments of like drink, you want to drink shampoo and also like you're going to quit the career you've been working on for 20 years. You're like, Oh, I'm going to write and I'm going to write a, my own TV show. Yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to like be influenced by all of these like dark feelings. Um, so anyway, so after two weeks of, you know, me quitting the business, some like weird voice in the back of my head was like, you're not quitting the business. They're just saving you for a better role. <laughs> and I was like, this is crazy. You know, like I'm obviously delusional, but some part of you like really believes that. Right. And then it happened. It really did happen. Like, you know, cut to like two months later and I was brought in for a guest star role. And I thought this is totally crazy, but it was a way bigger part. Right. And, and I went in and I, you know, booked the role and, and that's, so it's like, you are crazy, but also like you have to kind of have that kind of crazy brain.
1: You have to be crazy. Yeah.
2: You have to be crazy and you also have to like, you have to be delusional in a way that's realistic for the business that you're in, but also not so crazy that like you need to be institutionalized. You know what I mean? Not that some people don't have to be institutionalized once in a while, but like, there's a very big difference of like, if I was living in my hometown of Brandon, Manitoba, right. You know, doing whatever job there and telling myself that I was going to be on a soap opera one day, even though I like had no agent, had no connections to the business, wasn't auditioning, didn't know anything about like, you know, the lifestyle. And I'm just like one of these people that's, that's that's actually delusional. Whereas like if you're living in like, you know, a big city where you have access to agents, managers, TV shows, yeah. you know, and, and to be honest with you at this point, because of the internet, there's work everywhere.
0: Yeah, So right. even
2: in smaller communities now they are filming things and you can work, you know, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, like the idea of working in television and living in Winnipeg was not a possibility, No, you know, but now it is now it is a possibility. And that's brilliant. You know, um, Part of it just wasn't sorry
0: that the reason that like, that idea happens in people's brain is cause that's what you get told at like every edition from like any edition you go to is like, if we don't like you, if you get cut, like, don't worry. It's maybe we're going to bring you, maybe right. it's cause we know right away. It's not you. It's not you. You just isn't, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, that's a really nice way of telling actors that they're not good or that they don't want them. You know? I mean, I, I don't, I, that's such a hard thing <clears throat> for me to swallow because I've, in you know, I've been in this business professionally for almost 20 years and the times that I can count that something like that has happened to me or somebody I know is like on one hand and I've probably been on 5,000 or more auditions, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's just, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, if you get cut right away, I mean, if you get cut right away, it's probably because you don't look the right. way that they want you to look. Right that's like the immediate cut Right, is like, you don't fit into the world that we're creating. And you know, I had, I have like a very nice analogy that I learned in school that was really helpful. And it's when you go to an audition, they're making a salad. So like, let's say they're making, you know, like a Caesar salad and you're a carrot and you're like a, Fucking amazing carrot. You're like the best goddamn carrot. You're, you're like so carrot. orange. Yeah, yeah you're like carrot. so orange and like crisp and awesome. And they're like, bitch, we need a crouton. And you're like, I can be a crouton. And they're like, you can't be a crouton. we are a carrot.
1: And I'm like, no, look,
2: I can be bread myself. Because <laughs> actors are always like, you know, no, I can be what you want me to be. Just look at me. I'll bread myself and cut myself into little pieces. <laughs> Like no, you still taste like a carrot. Get out of here! <laughs> Stop coming to the office. Stop showing up. Yeah. Uh, so that's just like you know. But that, but honestly, like that's sort of that's how the business is. And you know, I got told when I was very young, like that I'm a strange type, and unfortunately that was something that always like stuck in my brain. And I think that it's been to the detriment of, I don't want to say detriment of my career. Cause obviously like, you know, I'm not doing so bad, but like, I think that when somebody tells you how you are, you, you get a little bit hung up on it and it can like cause like blocks in your career yeah. and not, yeah. not even like, hmm. like, like, these kind of blocks that, like, it's, like, what you're bringing into the room with you. Right. It's, like, this invisible thing that people are, like, oh, there's something off about her. We're not going to cast her. Or, like, she is weird. And it's one of those things where you... It's just something you end up bringing into the room with you, and it's, like, I'm weird. And and then you don't get certain things because of it, but then also it's kind of amazing at the same time because it's, like, what sets you apart,
1: you know? Right. But those, like, that also becomes like a little bit bit of a subconscious block of course you, you don't even think about it and it's like something you've embodied so deeply that it's so hard to dig out of yeah exactly
2: and there was a whole time period where I was with this agency for a very long time and uh when I was like first starting out in um in my professional career and I wasn't getting called in for auditions and and it was this very weird thing where I didn't really know what was wrong with me. And I would go talk to people in the business um, and they would say, she's amazing. She's so amazing, but we don't know what to do with her. Mm -hmm. Like she's so brilliant, but we don't know what to do with her. And I, I'm, so I went to this seminar uh, by this guy, John Napolito. He does a seminar called the actor's niche. And it's about finding what your sort of like what your essence is Mm -hmm. and what you bring to characters. And he's broken it down into this really cool science of like, you see people like Philip Seymour Hoffman and he was such a brilliant talent. And his whole thing was sexual perversity an addiction. Mm. That was like every character he played, whether he was a priest, whether he was like the guy in Boogie Nights, Mm -hmm. he was always, he always had a character that was like, he was the weird guy jacking off in the corner in like (laughs) everything he did. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is sort of crazy because it's like what made him so amazing to watch on screen, but also it was like his Achilles heel in life, you know? Uh, and he unfortunately, you know, um, passed away because of his addiction issues. Um, And that's so sad, but that sort of like raw essence that people have, everybody has that. Mm -hmm. And this guy has created a science about being able to pinpoint what your essence is. And so my essence is a eccentric or quirky woman in an obsessive romantic relationship, real or imaginary, Hmm. which is quite specific. But when he said that to me,
1: how long did he
2: know you before he said that? Literally, I went to a four-hour meeting with him. Hmm. And in the four hours, he does this thing where you, like, you, he asks you to list, like, your favorite movies, your favorite actors, what your favorite performances are by them in, like, books, theater, film, television. And then he asks you to talk about them. And it's, like, the way that you talk about things mm-hmm. and the, the concepts and the characters that you seem to cling to. Right. Um... Because the way I'm going to describe a film is going to be very different from the way that you describe the film. Because I'm going to talk about what I identified with when watching the film, right? right? Whereas, like, you would talk about what you identified with. And so that's sort of how he hones in on, like, what your specific niche is. And it's quite amazing because when he read that to me, one, I cried because I was like, oh, God, this is why every relationship I've ever been in hasn't worked out. But also, I'm like the weird girl that's, like, fucking the puppet, in the thing, in the show, you know, um, and that's when I came up with the idea for Carter and Me as well, mm, right. which we sort of talked about. That I wrote right. when I was, you know, going to drink shampoo. But Carter and Me, <laughs> Carter and Me is a TV series that I wrote that's about a woman who's hyper intelligent, who is like in med school to be a surgeon, and she has a psychotic break and. She reconnects with this imaginary friend that's a frog from her childhood. And the frog isn't just like a puppet. It shows up anytime there's a frog. So like stickers or like an actual frog or if Mm. it's like, you know, the icon on a bottle of wine,
0: whatever. And it just talks to her. Um, Do you think you would be writing this much when you finish school and like the first five years out? Did you think that you would be writing as much as you do now? Um, that's tricky because
2: I went to a conservatory program when I was 18, uh, AMDA in New York. And that was the best thing I could have done at the time because you didn't go to real school. You went to like tap class and ballet class and acting class and voice lessons and, you know, the history of film. But you you didn't have to like sub- like you didn't have to supplement it with any other classes. So it was right. like just an art program. Right. And I think that's sort of like all my brain could take when moving to New York city and being in school at the, at the same time. And then I started auditioning and you, you don't, I guess I didn't really think I was going to, it's that's a hard question because I guess I didn't really think that I was going to get into writing. But do you think,
0: that you started writing strictly because you're going to start writing more stuff for you
2: well i got into writing so when i went to the new school university it did the new school is this amazing program because it took the credits that i had accumulated at amda and then it let me create my own degree so i didn't i wasn't oh, interesting. forced to take any classes but i was forced to take like practical or non-practical certain amount of credits because right. i had done so much of the practical work already So a lot of those classes were writing classes. So I took like screenwriting and, you know, how to make an independent film and developing ideas for film, just because I was like, this is the business that I'm interested in that I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. You know, I obviously didn't grow up with parents that were in the film and television business. So this was like a whole new world to me. And to be honest, when I originally got into AMDA and was moving here, It was sort of always in the back of my mind, like, if you don't like this, you don't have to stay. You don't have to stay. You don't have to be an actor. This was just like a very good life experience. And when I, you know, was 18, we talked about that. Me and my parents had talked about, like, you know, this is going to be a really cool life experience for you. You can go to New York. You can live there for two or three years Do this amazing like acting program, and if at the end of it you don't feel like you want to be an actor, you can like come home and like go to BU and get a bachelor of science if you want. That's
0: so hard. That's
1: very interesting. Did you feel? Because I feel a little bit of shame if I was to ever like step away from being in the arts.
0: I think that's because I've invested so
1: much time and energy into it.
2: I think that your perspective changes the older you get. I think if I was. Like the same age as you guys are, I might have had that. Mm. But now, well, now it's different because now when I decide I'm going to quit, because I was most recently going to quit the business in September of this past year. So, like, what is that, six months ago? Yeah. So I got dropped by my longtime manager. It was very devastating for me. It was probably one of those things that you're like, this is. Those scenarios that you have that are like worst case scenarios in your brain. Mm -hmm. This was one of my biggest fears. Um, And my longtime manager dropped me. I was devastated. I was like, I'm, I'm at that age for women where they, the business calls it like the hard age for women because there's not a lot of roles for us. Um, And so I was like, my career's over, like I don't have enough credits on my resume in the film and television industry to sort of like roll me through. I'm not like somebody who had a recurring role on a TV show, show or was the lead of a pilot or even ha- has like a bunch of guest stars on my resume. I have like a theater career in New York and you know, a few very flashy credits, but not a lot of credits. Right. And so I was like, my career's over. And you know, so your first instinct is like, I guess this is it. And then I realized that I was in too deep. Like, I, <laughs> I, even if I tried to get out of the career, I, I'm in too deep at this point. Right. Like, I was like, okay, like, realistically, like, okay, I'm going to quit. And immediately I was like, well, my contract at Sleep No More runs until February, the end of February. So I'm stuck now, September, October, November, December, January, February. I'm stuck for another six months. Right. And then I'm writing a pilot with this person. I'm (laughs) I have a shoot set for Murderville. I have a film that's like being sent to festivals. It's like I You can't even if I tried to quit, it's gonna take me like at least a year Uh to like unhook myself from all of the commitments that I've already made in the business. And then and this very weird thing happens to your brain because you're like, well then what am I gonna do? Like What's my new life going to be? And of course, like, I'm just like, oh, I should have a baby. This is a very and then like, statement. She called me. I'm like, I should have a baby and then I should force my baby to be an actor. <laughs> oh,
0: no. This is why we have child stars.
2: <laughs> and I'm just like, this is a great idea. I'm going to have a baby. The baby's going to be famous. <laughs> I'm going to be the new, uh, what's her name, the Kardashian mom? Chris. (laughs) I'm going to be the new Chris Kardashian. (laughs) By the way, say what you want about her. She is a fierce worker.
0: Nobody fucking works. I I love the meme. It's like the devil works hard, but Kris Jenner works harder. (laughs) She
2: is amazing. I mean, you can say what you want about her, but she really is like a force to be reckoned with. And that's very impressive. They built a brand. They built a brand and she like... God bless her, you know? She's, like, doing her thing, also, making all that money. she so
0: many kids. You have yeah. so many kids. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty impressive. She has six children. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Oh. That's a lot. Anyway, so are you going to have a baby? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I mean, it was, like, a brief like, period where <laughs> you were, like, on the baby. You were, like, into it all of a sudden. Were you just going to, so like... Work- She was never, like, into having kids? No, I never really wanted kids. There was, like, a year, I think, last year when I was there, you were just like, maybe I'll have, like, a baby, and it'll be great. And I was like, what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my whole life I was like, I'm never having kids. It just, like, wasn't something that I... It wasn't something that I thought I wanted when I was, like, really young. Mm -hmm. And then I think when I moved to New York to be in, you know, the entertainment world... It was really, it was just something that was so far from like a reality in my life. Um, And even now it's so like, I have, you know, maybe two friends in New York that have babies. Like nobody has children that in the city, in the city that are in the arts. Right. Very few people do. And most people that do have children's partner are not in the business. So they have a partner who has like a very stable job with healthcare, and then they can go on auditions and look after the child. To be fair, that's not everybody. You know, my rehearsal directors at Sleep No More, they have two beautiful children Mm -hmm. and they clearly make it work. And that's amazing. You know, and they're both artists and that's like you could, you know, what a great life. Um, And they're also just like lovely people. So, yeah, but so now I'm now I'm off that train. Oh, you're not hunting for someone to have not a baby not hunting anymore. for anybody to have a baby with anymore. Uh, now I'm just like, I'm like going to be one of those ladies who's like, but all of my scripts are my children. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll take care of this one about murder, and I'll take care of this one about death, and I'll take care of this one about suicide.
0: <laughs> do you think all those scripts have to do with how they coincided in your life? Um...
2: Maybe. I mean, Carter and Me was specifically written after I had been told what my uh, acting niche was.
0: And I feel like your Fringe show was written.
2: Oh, right. I forgot about that. The after. Fringe show was written before Carter and Me. Yeah, but The Fringe show was written in 2013. Um, I wrote a play called This is a Play About Artists, which, by the way, The Shelter, the company that produced it for the Fringe Festival and produced it the year before in their um, The Shelter Presents Art series, um, they're having a 10 years of shelter. Oh, yeah. Like, weekend of performances. And we're going to bring back, like, a 15 minute segment of it
1: mm-hmm.
2: on March 28th. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it at the Jean Frankel Theater. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be fun. But so that piece was written about. That piece was
0: interesting because. I went through this crisis. It's like so hard because I literally know it so in-depthly and in what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah.
2: So I went through this, like right before I turned 30, I sort of had this like reality. There's very few moments in my life where I have this like aha moment. And I think it's for every, the same for everybody where you're like, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I am not taking responsibility for my own life and career right now. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a, somebody like shocks you with a cattle prod bam, <laughs> and you're like, Oh my God, I'm cause you're so unhappy. You're like so unhappy. And all of a sudden there's like somebody just slaps you and you're like, wow, I'm unhappy and I have control over so many things right now. Yeah. And at the time I was like living in an apartment that I hated. I was working in a job that I hated and my, I had like been on so many auditions And I had for TV and film and hadn't booked anything for like years, like Mm. years. And I was doing like, you know, independent film where I, you know, was shooting stuff with friends and I was part of the Upright Citizens Brigade community in New York. I was like doing sketch comedy and I'd been so close to things and everything was sort of like on like the periphery, but I wasn't getting, I wasn't landing anything. Mm -hmm. And I was about to be 30 and I was like, wow, like... I thought at this point like I was going to have starred in films and like I, I've been on like one TV show like 10 years ago and it was just like this moment where I was like you need to you need to move you need to quit your job and you need to change your life and so I when I was moving out of my apartment I was going through all of these like notes of mine from college from when I went to the New School University and studied writing and I found all of these like old pieces of work, like a short film that I had written and all these old poems. And I thought my like immediately my brain kind of like expanded and I was like, Wow, like you should write a play with all of the things you've ever wanted to do on stage that isn't like just acting, but it's like performance art and it's film and it's painting and it's just like every art form that you love. Mm-hmm. In a, in a piece. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote, this is a play about artists. And that's exactly what it is. It's like, I do performance art in it. We had somebody live paint the stage. There was a musician who played live music throughout the piece. We did slam poetry. We, I mean, it's just like, there's a short film that gets shown in it. And the first time it went up, it was a bit of a hot mess <laughs> because I'd never written a play before. And basically what I had done was just vomit glitter on a piece of paper and then was like, here's a play. And (laughs) the lovely people at the shelter were like, well, let's try to structure the glitter. So it just (laughs) doesn't go everywhere. (laughs) Like, you know, let's try to like glue some of it down and get rid of some of it. Um, and so I wrote, I rewrote the play like 30 times by the time it went to the fringe festival. Right.
1: And, Also, New York Fringe is different than Toronto Fringe, right? Yeah, it's not a lottery. It's not a lottery. No, it is.
0: I thought you said it wasn't.
1: What do you mean by lottery?
0: Like, you have to, like, apply for it. Yeah, you apply. Yeah, but then they don't just, like, pick it out of a hat out of a Oh,
1: no, no, no. It's, like, qualify. You qualify for it. Yeah, you know. So Toronto Fringe is literally you throw your name in a hat. Like, you could could be someone with no experience. And it could be garbage.
2: (laughs) No, you have to submit a package, and they read the package, and they decide if it's designed for that specific fringe festival. Right.
0: But, yeah. That's not what it is. Okay. okay yeah. Sorry. It's not good. a
2: lottery. Um, I was like, isn't everything you submit for a lottery at the end of the day? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, and that was like, that was such a great experience for me because it was really like a moment where I had taken like the reins of my career and it was super empowering, and. Yeah. And then it went up at the fringe and it did well. It was, you know, voted 20 best fringe shows by indie theater. Now it was published through that company. Although I think that company is, you know, now non-existent, but, um, so it was a, it was a great experience. And then I immediately started writing Carter and me after that. And the thing about Carter and me is I started writing it and immediately, you know, my, my agents and managers at the time were like, we're going to sell it. Mm. So I went through this like two year period where I wrote like 10 episodes of a show, just waiting to sell it, leaving it in other people's hands in that like business aspect. Right. And it never got sold. And then after those like two years, I started submitting for like Sundance episodic lab and you know, the HBO fellowships and all of these things. And it's just like one rejection letter after another coming in. And you're just like, Whoa, um, There's
0: a lot this, of negativity in my life. <laughs> but
2: also this is like back to that delusional thing where you're like getting rejected. So you're just getting rejection letters all the time. And you're just like, well, fuck them fuck those people. You know what? I'm a Nobody that was in the Sundance Episodic Lab ever made a show that got put on the air. So fuck that. Just kidding. Sundance Episodic, I'm applying to next week. And I <laughs> really want to be a fellow there. So please take me in Murderville.
0: I appreciate that you think that they're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: <laughs> Maybe. Our, Who knows? Our reach has gotten quite large. <laughs> I hope so. I'm going to just put that out into the universe for you. Great.
0: Thank you. Manifest that bullshit. Manifest
2: it. The world, we are living in the matrix. (laughs) We
0: can control everything. How many times do you think you've set a timeline for yourself in your career? What do you mean? Like you were talking about how you're like, I'm 30 years old. I'm not nearly where I wanted to be. It's funny. Well,
2: you don't, I've never really set like, I have to have these goals met by this age or in this time frame because you learn so early on that you have no control over Mm -hmm. anything. You have like... I mean, even like getting an agent, for example, like you can submit to agents, you can invite agents to your shows, you can, you, you can, you know, send them postcards, you can send them pitch packets, you can have meetings with them. I had a meeting with a management company where I was in a movie that was in like Tribeca Film Festival, Venice Film Festival, Toronto International Film Festival. I was guest starring on Boardwalk Empire. I was in a successful off-Broadway show in New York. Like, that to me was like heat, you yeah. know? And I was meeting with agents and managers, and they were like passing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know what else, like, you want. And then they'll sign somebody, like, right out of NYU right. because they went to NYU. Like, who fucking knows? I I just tried, I stopped trying to, like,
0: figure out what... But that's probably hard because... I mean, you're type A. Like, you like to control. You like to be able to like have goals set, and you yeah. like You run at a twelve.
2: Yeah, yeah. I run very high. So
0: <laughs> that's like something that like must be hard for you to like. It is figure out because you want this and this set for this and this, and you expect this and this on yourself.
2: Yeah, and I think that the older I get, the more I realize. Like, I've I got really I had another like, you know, cattle prod moment a, about a year ago. Um in like December year and a half ago where it was the same sort of thing where I was like seeing that I was like in the same situation over and over again, this was like in a romantic way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you need to take responsibility for your actions. Like you are not dating losers you are like actively entertaining these people. Like you are like a lighthouse in a storm, just like with boats, just like crashing into the rocks at you. And you're just accepting it with open arms. Right. And like being this like sort of like beacon of hope for these like lost souls. But like, that's really great if you're like a nice person or a therapist, but like you shouldn't be like romantically involved with people like this. So I had to like sort of take responsibility again. And that in the way I handled it this time was I got, I started to get really into like meditation and how you have to let certain things go and just trust the universe is going to give you the things that you need when you need them and let go of the how Mm -hmm. it's like, you can just meditate every day and be like, I want to be, a recurring role on a hit TV show. I want my TV show to be made. I want to have a role in, you know, uh an independent film at Sundance. And you just have to sort of meditate on that and then not be concerned about how it's gonna happen. Again, delusional that you're like, I can control the cosmos. But also like I'm magic and can control the cosmos. And you see it work sometimes. And it's like one of those moments where you are, you know, that there is something going on that has like, there's a, I don't want to say like a plan for you because it sounds kind of cheesy, but there really is. Like I got dropped by my manager, had a complete breakdown. And two weeks later I was on a TV set. Like that's nuts. I hadn't worked in TV in like five years. I had like auditioned, didn't book anything was like one of the reasons I had parted ways with this manager was because like they weren't getting me any auditions. Mm -hmm. And so when I got dropped by them, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to audition for television for at least like the rest of episodic season. It was
0: like, right. It was right during episodic season or right right during episodic season.
2: I was like, I guess like I'm done. And then like two weeks later, I miraculously get this audition for Broad City and now I'm going to be on Broad City. And that's like when you have to think like, Whoa! Like I was trying to quit the business, and then the universe was like cattle prod, bitch!
0: Like you're not coming out. It's also just like, <laughs> like kind of. The, it's kind of like psychotic in the sense that they're like, you're like, I'm gonna quit, and they're like, have some more crack. Like they're like, take the crack cocaine, and then you're like, I'm a star! I'm gonna be in this forever. Yeah, this is my moment, and then like you like dig yourself into this hole, and then they're like, here you go. Yeah, here's some more
2: crack. Do you want some more crack. <laughs> yeah, but I also booked the unbrunch that week too, which was also fun. Cause it was like one of those things where, so the Unbrunch is another immersive show that I do. That's Alice in Wonderland based at the Norwood club in New York, opening April 6th, running through May 25th.
1: <laughs> um, just
2: going <laughs> to plug that. Um, if you're in New York, but I, that was another moment where I was like, wow, I'm so stuck in this business because I booked that without even auditioning, just a friend of mine who I used to do sleep no more with just called me up and had a conversation with me about it and was like, are you interested in doing this show? And it's like, you hit a certain point in your life. And I think a certain age where everybody that you've been working with is now in the business and they've decided to make their own shit. And it's like, you're this crew now of like, We're, we're all going to hire each other and we all have our own companies and whether like your company is an immersive theater company and my company is like a film company. We're now like cross pollinating and like, we're just going to like, we're going to take care of each other. Yeah. We're going to take care of
1: each other. Yeah. And we've suffered enough. Yeah. Yeah, Fuck that. Exactly. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And also like in your, in your like twenties, you're still at that stage where like people aren't really getting paid for their work. You're doing like a lot of things. And, and shows because you're like, I really love the show and it's my friend's theater company, so I'm not going to get paid for it. Mm-hmm. So you end up working for free a lot, which is, I'm not even going to get on a tangent about how horrible it is that artists work for free but anyway. <laughs> um, but now that you're older, like now there's money involved. It's right. like whether you're getting, you know, you have a Patreon or you have donors or there's like producers that you now know from other work that you've done who are giving you money or you're running Indiegogo campaigns or seed and spark campaigns, you're now that at that stage where like, we're all in this and now we're all getting paid for this. And, and I think that you just level up again when you, you know, you increase in age and I think it gets, you just sort of get older and it's like the money increases, you know? So it's like, we're getting paid a certain amount of money for all the work now. And then in like five years, it's going to be more money
1: right i like how you just said you're getting older and you're leveling up leveling up <laughs> getting stronger just more
2: hopefully now. <laughs> also looking younger
1: that's like how
2: i
0: what did you, did you say last night <laughs> you cast between the ages of 26 and 47 <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> 26 and 47 well because i i was like auditioning for an, a bunch of agents recently and i walked into the room and i sat down and i did my sides and immediately one of the agents was like, cause you're never supposed to ask actors how old they are. Right. Mm-hmm. So you asked like, them what their castable age is. And this woman was like, Ginger, what is your, like, what, <laughs> what ages do you go out for? And I was like, I pretty much go out for anything like 26 to 47.
0: <laughs> so I like, why not 48? Why not 50? Like, yeah. <laughs> but
2: they all started laughing and, but they were like, no, because you walk in and you look like you're in your 20s and then you open your mouth and you sound like this like 60-year-old like wise old woman <laughs> And I was like, because I'm wise and I know that the world is a matrix
1: and I am magic. And and then that's where they were like, okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very
2: much. Don't call us. (laughs) We'll call you. Please don't come by the office. If
0: we don't call you within the first three days, it's not because we don't like you. We just have bigger things planned for you. We
2: just have a bigger role in mind for you. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah. It's just, you know. just such an interesting business that like, I think anybody who's an artist in any capacity, and I define myself as an artist, not an actor, mostly because I have all of these other projects that I, I mean, I obviously am a writer writing plays and films and television shows and also performing them. And I like perform in immersive theater, which is like quite different than performing in regular theater Mm -hmm. or acting for camera. And then I, you know, have these plays that I write that have poetry pieces in in them. And I have, like, another side project that I've been working on called I'm a Yellow Octagon that's, like, all art pieces. Um, So it's just, like, I sort of define myself as an artist. And I think that that shows up a lot in, like, the way that I dress and the way that I behave and the choices that I make. And I think for everybody that's how it is. Like, the words you choose, the way you present yourself is all part of your art at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. And I think everybody that's been in the business of it has had it's horrible, you know? <laughs> it's so bad. It's like you sort of walk this line of being the happiest you could ever be in your whole life. You're elated that you feel like you're full of diamonds, like your just whole body is full of diamonds. And you're just shining. And this also line where like you might jump in front of a subway train <laughs> at any moment.
0: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no, no. laughs>
2: yeah. But you know what though, the that's, that's the thing, is like somebody once explained to me that most people if if you looked at emotions like a metronome and you know, the metronome can tick where it's it only is you know, expanding like, you know, by six inches, like three on the high side and three on the low side, or you know, that's quite a big metronome, but um but then artists, we have this, it's like it opens up and it's like you're doing like a three six, you right. know, like I guess one eighty, 100, yeah. yeah. A one eighty, and it's like your highs are so much higher than anybody else mm-hmm. in the world experiences, and your lows have to be equally the same because we're it it's you know, we're even. Right. We're not like you don't get to just have one without the other. That's the whole concept of like, you know, the yin and yang right. and light and dark is like you you get both, which is why comedians. Yeah. Have, if you
1: lived in this middle ground that had no emotions, you would be just like he'd be an through. accountant.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or you'd be like severely depressed and on meds. But like, I yeah, wonder yeah. if that's like a person, something that like a personality trait that artists, people who are artists, are just have, and that's why what they're they are what they're doing. Or if it's just something that you develop?
2: I I think that it's something that you innately have. I I don't think that, I mean, I think that you can develop skills like techniques and, um, and I think that you can open your mind to the kind of art that you want to create. So like, if you go into the business as an actor or a dancer, and then you move into like choreographer or writer or, and you can like, wear these different hats at any time. But I think anybody that's decided I'm going to go into the business of art, knowing that I'm not going to get paid, Mm -hmm. knowing that it's going to be awful, knowing that I'm not guaranteed a job
1: is crazy. That's like an insanity thing. You also have the capacity to like deal with that. I think the people that don't have the capacity to deal with that kind of stress, they get out out of it right away. They don't do it.
0: I don't think a lot of people start knowing that they're like, Oh yes, but it was different for you. I'm going to be a star.
2: Of course. But then you're like in the business for like two years and you're like, Whoa, you know, yeah. this is I am
0: sad a lot.
2: I'm sad a lot. And I hate waitressing, yeah. you know, or temping or working in retail or right. whatever job you have. Because every, I'm not going to say every, cause I think that there are people who have been like, you know, blessed with very different lives, but like, probably 90% of people that hold up Oscars as like actors have worked every single horrible job, have done shows for free in black box theaters, have waited tables, folded clothes, had been five rejected, roommates, had five roommates been rejected so many times, been dropped by managers, fired managers, you know, like yeah. lost relationships because of their career choices. It has to be, you know, I mean, there's obviously people who are very lucky who like were born into the business and, mm-hmm. and, you know, their trajectory is very different, but it's just one of those things that you don't see that when you watch the Oscars. Mm-hmm. So when like middle America watches the Oscars, right. they don't see the struggle that goes into the, mm-hmm. it goes into the movie or the career. Um, and that's, Part of why it's amazing too, because it's a lie, right? Everything is a lie. You're lying when you're acting, you're telling people lies right now. This is a lie. Um, but everybody in the business knows how hard it is, you know, and knows that it's just like, it's such a, a weird cocktail of like hard work and luck,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, it's just mostly about luck
0: Mm-hmm. and people who and do. You- Just, like, think you're unlucky? Me? Like, a lot of people, or people that aren't famous, do they just, like, start understanding that they're just not lucky people?
2: I mean, I think that there's a very different, a big difference between, like, I think to be, like, somebody, like, who's a celebrity, Mm -hmm. there's, like, some luck involved. Right. Because you have to, you know, line up. Your show has to line up, or your film, or whatever project you're working on has to, like, sort of hit all of these, like, the stars have to align. right, right. You know? Whereas, like... I've been working as a professional artist for, I think, five or six years now. Mm -hmm. And that's where all of my income comes from. Mm -hmm. I don't have a side job. I, you know, act in an off-Broadway show. You
0: you had this weird thing happen where your side job just told you to quit. My side job did tell me to quit. My last (laughs) side job, I was
2: bartending at a restaurant on the Lower East Side in New York, and I was doing, I think, my first contract at Sleep No More, and I was in Boardwalk Empire. Right. And my friends were running the bar, and they were like, can you, can you quit, please? <laughs> Not that we don't like having you here, but can you just, like, go be an actress and, like, right. stop working your one bar shift a week? <laughs> and I, honest to God, was, like, terrified because I thought, if I leave... The bar industry, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to want to come back. I'm never, ever. It's going to be so much harder to come back because I'm going to feel like a failure if I have to go back. Right. Once you leave the side job, if you ever have to go back to it, it's like that amount of failure is like... It makes me want to cry right now just thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like such an ego blow. Right. And it's sort of another one of those moments where you're like, wow, like this is not what I wanted my life to be. And you just, the amount of times that you have that as an artist is so upsetting mm-hmm. and it doesn't stop. And like for the 2% of people that are in Hollywood that it like, Does that it, they have like these careers. It even like, I imagine that when you get to that level, there's still issues. They're just bigger issues, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and you also, I think get accustomed to a certain lifestyle at that level. And if like, if you start not getting pictures or you start getting not paid $5 million for a picture, that's like (laughs) quite like affects your lifestyle, you know? Whereas like now, because I've been working in the business for so long, and don't have a side job, it's it's hard to think about. Like, I was like making a joke at Christmas, and I'm like, I'm always just like, I feel like I'm always just like five feet away from becoming a boot camp instructor. <laughs> you know, just right. like, just like. <laughs> one slip on the ice away from personal trainer or like one yoga fi-
1: instructor, yeah. one financial crisis away from, yeah. Nothing. There's,
2: I mean, obviously like people who are in the exercise world that are in that business because they want to be in that business. Right. You know, we appreciate them. And like, I love going to my yoga studio and the right. the women there that teach classes and the men are phenomenal, but I, that's not what makes me happy. Right. You know? So it's like, you can't like compare that's no. like comparing apples and oranges. So yeah, so now now the goal is to just try to sell projects for more money. Yeah. Um because you've leveled up. Because I've, I've leveled up. <laughs> I've
0: leveled up. As I age <laughs> I level up. <laughs> I level up. So
2: now like my specific goals are, you know, to sell Murderville. Um Murderville
0: to... just releases when so, is your campaign yeah, start? Murderville.
2: Okay, so Murderville is a show that I wrote for Insta mini series with Chelsea Ung and our producers named Nikki Borges, and she's the creator of Insta Mini Series. So we basically wrote a television show for the platform of Instagram, so every episode is two minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And when Nikki came on board last year, she is uh, well-connected because of Insta Mini Series, and so we were able to uh, send the show to Comedy Central and IFC as not only a web uh, show or web series, but also as a pilot. So Mm -hmm. we wrote it like a half hour pilot to pitch as well. So now we have like the pilot and the series overview and the Instagram series. And we're sort of just trying to shop it around to see if anybody is interested in it. And it's about two women who are trapped in like a sleepy, small Midwest town who are obsessed with serial killers. And I've taken my, my, character from SNL who used to make the Law and Order dioramas and now Darla makes dioramas of her favorite serial killer murders. (laughs) And they you know, inevitably a murder happens in their town and they try to track a serial killer. And it's like Fargo meets the office, but very female driven. So it's like dark and twisty, but funny and a mockumentary. And so that's what we're working on right now. And you can see the teaser and like all things Murderville at on Facebook at MDRville is the Facebook handle if you want to follow it. And we are yeah, we're trying to sell it, but also we we sort of have this goal that if we can't sell it by April first, we're gonna launch a Seed and Spark or an Indiegogo campaign and self fund it. Make it yourself. And make it ourselves. And we'll make it for Instagram ourselves. Right. Because there's also this, you know, you have these shows like Insecure and Broad City who did web series first right. and then were able to sell their show. So that's like another sort of goal is like if we if we do have to self fund it and put it on Instagram specifically put it on Insta mini series the hope is that you know it gets enough traction and attention right. that we will be able to sell it as a pilot and then have our own show and then give jobs to all of our friends
1: yeah <laughs> and work forever, forever in the film and television business getting um, little nuggets every time
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Sorry, no, keep going.
2: No, no, I was just going to say, and Broad City, obviously, like, those girls are incredible and amazing. And you can watch me on Broad City March 14th.
1: Woo! Yeah, those girls are doing it.
2: They're doing it, and they're, like, the kindest, nicest. They're just so wonderful. Mm -hmm. It's so nice to meet people that have their own show. They, like, run that ship. Like, they know everything. They're doing so many. They wear so many hats, And they're so young, and they're just, like, firecrackers. They're amazing.
0: It's amazing. It feels weird asking you this question after we just talked about things that you should plug.
2: (laughs) Don't ask me. I I just casually plugged everything. Because every time I'm interviewed, I'm just sort of imagining I'm on, like, you know, Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon's couch. Well, you
0: basically are. are. You're on a couch right now. It reminds me, I should take a picture. I'm sorry, is there a difference between Jimmy Kimmel and what we're doing right now? Yeah. I Ginger. mean, I'm not
2: related to Jimmy Kimmel. Oh.
0: so
1: it's very true. Um, is being an artist fucking killing you, Ginger? Yes. But it's killing
2: me <laughs> by, Absolutely. like, cutting me open with diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm filled with diamonds that are shining, and then they just cut me open slowly from the inside. <laughs> Just diamonds. I think if being an artist isn't fucking killing you, you're probably not a very good one either.
0: <laughs> Those
2: are... Nice. like that. You're not doing it right. <laughs> if it's not killing you, you're not doing it right. You're not, not that.
1: invested. You're not all in. You're not all in.
2: Also, I'm it shouldn't. It. I mean, it would be lovely to live in a world where we could just... There was like a whole community where we could get funded and... You know, make things. Right. I think that should really be part of. If you think about how many people watch television, go to the theater, and then there's like no funding for it. It really should be part of like governmental funding. Right. Yes. Like, it doesn't make arts. sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense that like so many people, like literally everyone in the entire world, takes pleasure in consuming art. Yeah. And then you TV. fuck the artist yeah. so hard by not giving them money to create.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's like, like yeah, music. Everything. If we lived in a world without art for even a day. You wouldn't be able to, like, look at anything. You yeah. wouldn't be able to listen to any music. You wouldn't no. be able to read a book. No,
2: I know. it's. There'd be
1: nothing in the world that is entertaining. Right? And
2: there'd be no beauty. Yes. You know, artists, I mean, there's obviously, like, beauty in nature, but there's so much, like, we create so much beauty and make so many people happy. And at the end of the day, I think that where you, you, everybody who's an artist has this, like, innate thing of, like, I have to create or I will die. That's like what it is. And like I don't think people understand that that's the extreme that we live in. It's like if I don't make things, I my not only like you might not literally just drop dead, but you like your spirit will die. Yes. You will like die and atrophy You'll because be like unhappy. and be so unhappy. And so I think that like, you know, and, and, and so as much as you're like I have to do this because otherwise it will kill me, you also want to do it because you're like, I have so many things that I like want to share with people that I know people can identify with, and I can be like the voice to help these people. And right, right. You know, when we did four, um, when I wrote four, one of the reasons I wrote it was because you you have all these like sensationalized murder shows where they talk so much about like the victim. You know, like for example, Jean Benet Ramsey. Like we're just like focused on Jean Benet Ramsey, which of course we should be because it's like a horrible story, mm-hmm. but. We never, like, mm-hmm. look at, like, what that family... Like, let's look at the family. And, like, we can say what they want, whether they're guilty or innocent or whatever, but, like, it ruined them. It became, like, their legacy. Right? Yeah. And that's, like, heartbreaking right. to me. To know that there's families out there that, like, this is ruining their life, and it's just something they can't get out from under. And so I wanted to, like, look at what, ha- what happens to the family, which is, like, why I wrote that film.
1: hmm You know? hmm So, yeah.
2: Which is premiering tonight at the Toronto Shorts International Film Festival. March 1st. Another plug! (laughs) Another plug. (laughs) Um, But it will have already happened when people listen to this.
1: Thank Mm -hmm. you so much, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Yay! Yay. Is there anything else you need to plug?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So many projects. No, no, no. That's it
1: amazing that's it Thanks thank you for guys for me. listening
0: oh, thank you thank you guys for listening so much if you want to hear more episodes please go to our itunes or our spotify and subscribe download do all those things so that we know that you are listening also if you want to write a review or send us a note or have any questions let us know yeah pop into those dms sneak in there let <laughs> us know um thank you guys for listening go subscribe or go look at our patreon and please a month makes such a difference. $12 a year for amazing podcast episodes? Oh my God. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. (laughs) Bye.